Welcome to Hiraith, the home of modern Welsh politics. Supporting Wales in the rugby and England in the football was a common mindset amongst a large cohort of people living in Wales in the 1960s, but it isn't the kind of attitude that Wales expects from its prince in 2022, especially as Wales finally make their first appearance in a FIFA World Cup this century. Prince William's statement to this effect raised further questions about his title following his rushed appointment following the death of Queen Elizabeth and the recent announcement that there will be no repeat of the politically driven and contentious 1969 investiture ceremony. So what future for the role? To discuss this, we are joined by Welsh historian Dr. Marian Liffler of Cardiff University and political commentator Theo Davis-Lewis, who recently delivered a public lecture titled William, Last Prince of Wales. Hello, both. Hello, Shumai. Shumai. Hello, Theo. Hi, Matt. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll start with you then, Theo, uh, given your recent lecture. Could you outline the thesis of this uh, lecture and, and what prompted you to think about it in this light? Well, what prompted it to start with was actually, like everything else in politics and public life now, the debate around the Prince of Wales title, which has been a debate, of course, over the last three months, is incredibly polarising. And what I outlined in, in Clinetti was you kind of had Michael Sheen on one side of the spectrum and then you had Andrew Archie Davis on the other side. And I uh, told the audience there that I, that I hope to take us uh, through the middle ground and see where we might end up. And of course... It was prompted, like I said, to the fact that we've got a new Prince of Wales. And I think King Charles's statement when he first became king, making William Prince of Wales, was bound to start this discussion. Uh, and now I think because of the changing nature of Wales compared to when we had a when Charles was mid prince uh, in the middle of the last century, has made it a very interesting dynamic in terms of the reaction, not just not necessarily completely of the public. But of Welsh politicians who've always been quite influential in terms of whether there's things like an investiture happening. And for me, what I found really fascinating, and I think it was and has been underexplored, is the fact that when William became Prince of Wales and Kate, of course, Princess of Wales, this seemed to be a, a kind of coalition of um, Labour and Plaid Cymru politicians essentially shaping the role for William in the media through public interventions. And I think that sort of relationship with, with the royal family and how public statements were made to kind of box in Kensington Palace um, made for a very interesting political dynamic. I also think there have been some strategic mistakes taken by the palace, if you look at it from a, from a royal perspective, in the way that they've tried to handle things over the last three months. And then, of course, this week, time very well for this podcast, Matt, the football is another saga that has played into the complexity of the role in the modern day, particularly when you have an English-born English Prince of Wales and how sustainable that is. So there was a, a few different things that I that I wanted to ask. And again, I tried to look into that crystal ball of Welsh politics like we do on this podcast so often and try and see where we might be when Wales goes through its next kind of seismic change, which I kind of see happening maybe on the big issues like language and politics and devolution happens every kind of 20, 25 years. And that, I think, conveniently might be when we might have the decision next on the Prince of Wales. So there was a lot to unpack, uh, but with the reaction in Tenethi, as you can imagine, it was a very lively debate. And because I'm still speaking to you here, it clearly didn't go too badly. So that's 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 the only consolation that I have as well. It's a, it's a weird one, isn't it, Theo? Because, you know, an English prince, born in England, fan of Aston Villa, we shouldn't be surprised at all that he's going to support the English football team. But just because of the title... It sits ill with so many people. What's your response to the, the media 
reaction and the reaction of general fans and people in, in the street? Well, I think the likes of Davide one were totally right to, to say that there wasn't really, I wasn't surprised really. I was more surprised in the political strategic sense that clearly Kensington Palace haven't thought through quite, I don't want to say simple things because we're talking amidst the World Cup as well. You know, football isn't a simple thing. It's 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 got that symbolic... Um, symbolic meaning uh like you know benedict anderson and those those likes talked about that kind of imagined community it's sport in particular and wales of course is really important so they clearly hadn't thought this through very well and when i was doing the radio wales phone in last week before the lecture i, I gave the kind of hirith political analysis of why i was exploring this but none of the callers were actually that interested they were more interested in why isn't he supporting us in the football and that's why we shouldn't have a Prince of Wales, which I found for a Radio Wales following quite interesting in terms of the response. Uh, and I think, again, it shows the complexity. And for some, it just shows it doesn't work. And I can understand that. For me, in terms of the way I'm looking at it, and a kind of political and, and public policy perspective and, and where we're heading Wales, I did think it, you know, we've, we've heard so much public statements from, from William saying he wants to deepen his ties, of course, with the Welsh people and the issues that matter to them. But it's, it, kind of showed, I think, the last week, the carelessness as well and underestimating the mistakes that can be made and how long-term those effects can be. And I still think that is that is a potential danger for them, if you know, for the royal family in terms of they've got to be very careful in the way that they operate over the next few years. Ma Marion, what's your assessment been of the last few months of the, of the palace and how they've sort of managed their relationship with Wales? Well, I don't know. Uh... Maybe one could call it decline and fall. We have the, the royal family hasn't had the easiest kind of half year. We've gone from the heights of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, which was celebrated by so many people. Uh, and I may remind you that in an opinion poll taken at the time by Richard Wynne Jones, it was shown that over 50% of the Welsh population still thought this monarchy was relevant for Wales. Although, of course, there is a lot of stratification according to age, like, you know, the older you are, the more you loved the Queen. But it's been a road downhill since then and this this started when Charles barely 24 hours after his mother's death divulged himself of the role of the Prince of Wales and it was almost with relief that he confirmed William and Catherine and they're the first couple to be confirmed Prince and Princess of Wales since 1714 when George II did that, uh, George I did that and he confirmed his son George II and Caroline von Ansbach who was German uh, as they all were, you know, they were the Hanoverians. And in a way, Charles put William in a similar situation because William is not a 17-year-old uh, like Charles was or even younger, you know, uh, if we look back to the investiture in 1911. Uh, William is a man in his 40s with interests, with his charities and whatever you think about the royal family, they, they you know, they do look after their charities. He's got three children whom he's not really going to move to Wales and he has got allegiances already. So it he, he, he did put William in a difficult situation. Now, of course, we may say as the Prince of Wales, William has responsibilities. So, di so did Charles. But I think if you, if you look at the history of Prince Charles as Prince of Wales from 1969, from the investiture. I think 
And I think the monarchy has survived for so long. And this is where Theo, you know, Theo said it's going to be a difficult road ahead. It is because the monarchy has survived for so long uh, because I think Queen Elizabeth was a very, very shrewd operator. I firmly believe that it was her who made sure that Charles deepened his connections with Wales. And I'm sure it was by her suggestion that uh, the office of the Royal Harpist to the Prince of Wales was revived in 2000, that he bought uh, an estate, Lloyna Wermod, in 2007. But mind, all these things came quite late. This is 40 years after, well, almost 40 years after he was invested as Prince of Wales. Uh, and all the while, he had very close connections with Scotland. Uh, so did the Queen. And those connections have always been much closer with Balmoral and so on. And then, uh, in, in an extremely shrewd move, what the Queen did in 1997 after the devolution referendum and against the advice of the Home Office, where we now know that there were some pretty libelous letters written about Welsh culture and the Eisteddfod, she goes in 1999 and opens the Welsh Assembly as it then was. And from then on, every new building, every law-giving powers and up to the Senate, she has attended with Charles and with Camilla in tow. So one wonders how, how, how deep that connection Charles had with Wales really was and who steered it. For me, the fact that 24 hours after his mother had died, he he kind of he he confirms his son as Prince of Wales with almost relief um, and puts him in that situation without any consultancy uh, with anybody. Just shows that those connections may not have been so deep after all. Now, William and Kate are they are not at the same level as Elizabeth II, but they are a little bit shrewder. So on, so on that, no, I, it's an interesting point. It's something I wanted to pick up with both of you, but I'll go to Theo first. We saw, obviously, that Charles made a visit to the Senate shortly uh, after he was made king. William was here last week. So how would you reflect on these visits? How well do you think they've gone? Do you think they've started to show that perhaps, if not Charles, then maybe William does have some of his grandmother's deafness in, in reflecting that sort of multinational character of the UK? Well, I think just to go back to, to Marion's point about what the Queen did, I think she's absolutely right in terms of particularly those visits to the Senate, which did play a big part, I think, in the Elizabethan way of operating, of legitimising devolution, uh, whatever you think of the royal family. And I, and I made this point that that was very successful in terms of political necessity for Welsh politicians, whatever you think. Uh, and again, I, I think that Elizabethan way of operating was what we say what we saw after the Queen's death and Charles's visit to, to Cardiff and that bilingual speech was quite extraordinary in Chambord. Uh, we don't normally hear a monarch speaking anything other than English or French. So to have that, I think that was kind of a skillful way of projecting a kind of Welshness for the Prince of Wales that of course for centuries for many people was never there and, and never really resonated. So those visits have, have played a part. I think, again, I go back to Marion's point, William clearly does understand to some extent the tensions of, in the role that he's operating in. Charles, again, had and has had uh, very skillful Welsh advisors 
you know, pushing him towards things like Clonuera Mod and uh, the role of the harpist and the Welsh language, although the latter point, uh, a huge own goal if you're thinking about the royal family and and their and their learning the language and, and really sort of grasp, grasping it in both hands, which I think could have made a, a significant difference. But they these visits have been successful. I think what I saw was interesting, and the visit came a couple of days before my lecture um, last week. I thought it was very interesting that William symbolically came through, you know, with no regalia. It was described, I think, uh, by some commentators as a, as a business-like professional relationship. And for me, the way I interpret that, the extent to which in three months we've seen the role of this Grand Prince of Wales and, and Charles had this political space to operate, which was quite significant, actually. Uh, he had quite a lot of room to operate in this role. And, and for me, I saw that with William, an acknowledgement from Kensington Palace and with the investiture announcement, an acknowledgement that that space is, is going very, very small and it's, it's depleting rapidly. And if you have the relationship and these visits becoming more business-like and professional after three months, to my point, you know, think about where we might be in three years, or 30 years, that you, the role of Prince of Wales becomes a business-like professional relationship with the Welsh people. And I don't think that is sustainable as a title and as a, as, as a modus operandi. And that gives us obviously more ammunition to ask the question, the existential questions that we're asking today. Well, I was in the Senate uh, the day that Prince William came to visit, and it was a very low-key, understated affair. I sort of knew it was happening, so I kind of knew what the extra security mm. and the the one or two cameras were about. But beyond that, you really, really wouldn't have known. So it's it's interesting that it has been sort of scaled back uh, to that extent. Marion, what, what, what do you say on that? Well, for me, that raises a question, and I, I, I completely agree with Theo. It raises a question, what business <laughs> and what profession? We have our government, we, we pass our own laws, many of them. Our education system is different from that in England. Uh, our, our social services are different. They work differently from those in England. So it, it, it raises a question, where is the niche into which uh, the Prince of Wales and the Princess of Wales fit? And they, they're trying to find that niche. They are very savvy in these matters, you know, uh, visiting Anglesey and, you know, the um, the lifeboat station where they used to live straight away. But one does not quite see where it fits in. And we, we must not forget demographics. Uh, those people who revered Elizabeth II, those people who are, you know, what we would call mon mon monarchists, who hark back, and I love that, Theo, the Elizabethan age, you know, um, I love that. Um, of course, I would think of Elizabeth I, but of course it is an Elizabethan age. They're not going to be with us for much longer. And for the younger generation, it's a very different, it's a very different picture. Uh, and they're not monarchists. And, uh, you know, the percentages of those who think that Charles or William or whoever, Kate, are relevant for us here in Wales are, are very low. I was at the event where Charles was announced as King Charles III. And what was absolutely amazing was the acknowledgement of the Welsh language, the programme, everything was fully bilingual. And to be perfectly honest, everything was read out in Welsh first. And that's why I, our ceremony took twice as long as those in Scotland, uh, Northern Ireland and, and England, <laughs> funnily, which really messed with the broadcasting. Um, they weren't happy with us. 
but it, language is lip service, isn't it? There has to be more than acknowledging a language and uh, learning a little bit of language. And to, to be perfectly honest, William hasn't even done that, has he? Yeah, no, I think, and I think just to jump in there, Marion, I think that's absolutely right. And it, for me, considering all these forces in a kind of contemporary, contemporary fashion, when we hear things like we are, the, the palace is focused on deepening our ties and the relationship with the Welsh people. Um, and a couple of people pointed out to me, you know, he's, he's in his 40s and they still don't speak the language and that lip service even hasn't been done. And that's why I think, you know, and I, I understand it that he, William and, and Harry did have Welsh lessons, I think, uh, in, uh, as teenagers, but I don't know the extent of it. But even that hasn't happened. And I think then you can't really pay that lip service if there's not really there to be heard. And for me, I look back to what Marion was saying in terms of the demographic point, my generation, again, for me, who's a sort of child of devolution, we look to other national institutions for things like the language, but also other elements of our identity. And I don't want to kind of preempt your questions, Matt, but I look at the sort of competing institutions, you know, that are operating at the minute. The Football Association of Wales, of course, is the one that everyone's minded at the minute. And that is where I see kind of the next 10, 15 years in terms of these big institutions that are representing identity and forms of patriotism in their own different ways, as the royal family does. But I see the sort of resurgence of the FAW very much uh, on a direct line upwards, on, a, on, a, on an upward trajectory. And it's clear that they have that because they have a very clear strategy. And I think that's a very inclusive one. Whereas, as Marion's uh, reflected upon as well, the royal family and the sort of the, the Prince of Wales, particularly, they're still trying to work out what they can do. Again, to go back to that point, the space in which they have, it's not as open as what Charles had. You know, he was Prince of Wales for what it, you know, what it was 30, 40 years before devolution. So he had kind of at least cemented himself within that role before then. Whereas now William comes into the role in a very different environment with very different actors sort of dictating to, to him what he can and can't do. And again, I go back to that point I made earlier. I, I think that's quite extraordinary in the context of Welsh devolution. You have Welsh politicians, admittedly from, from Labour and Plaid Cymru, who feel that they can just go out and intervene and and even the, the Llywydd to do so in a Western Mail column saying there shouldn't be an investiture. And they've got exactly what they want. And I think that is quite amazing in terms of the political ramifications for it. They've been respectful, courteous, professional business like in these formal events but publicly and without outside of those circles they have said this is very much our territory and we accept you as prince of wales because it's an event that's happened but we feel that we are the ones in charge and there is a possibly a role for you but you're going to have to work around us to make it happen it's a sign of a more confident nation than the one that Charles was prince of for a large part of that reign, isn't it? I mean, you, you talk about that deeper connection so much there, Theo. You know, William did, you know, live uh, on RAF Valley, on Anismorn. He should have, therefore, shouldn't he, a better understanding of the Welsh people? Do you, to what extent do you think the language is important? Or is it just, as you say, lip service? What could any Prince of Wales, a new, new Prince of Wales, do to actually endear themselves to the Welsh people in the 21st century? Well, um, just to go back to your remark on living in Anglesey, you know, and Sir Vaughan, it's Sir Vaughan for us. I suspect for 
Kate and William, it was just like it was for Harry to live at Sandhurst or wherever they are sent. And, you know, you can live even in Anglesey, on Anglesey, you can live a life within English networks and never really kind of hear a lot of well-spoken. If you watch all the videos of members of the royal family visiting faraway parts of the empire, you know, they hear a lot of languages, other languages there. It's exotic. It's part of the empire. It adds to the mosaic or the, oh, it's called the Commonwealth of Nations now. It adds to the mosaic uh, of, of cultures and traditions. It doesn't mean that you have a deeper connection with it. And sending them there may have been one of those shrewd ploys by Elizabeth II. So I, I'm not convinced that living in Anglesey uh, made him, you know, create a deeper connection between him and Wales. Uh, but uh, to, to come back to, to your previous question and Theo's remarks on the Welsh Football Association, what that video released by the Football Association, and I don't think it's the most national body we have, but what it shows is just how much that context has changed for William. If uh, the, And this would not have been possible 10 years ago even. It's not just the song Amauhid, it's also, it's that video, because the video shows Tuerin, it shows Kapelkelin, a, visit, a village drowned uh, in 1967, I think, uh, for to give water to the Liverpool Corporation. It shows the, we, we hear the ver words on the morning of the devolution referendum. It shows Kamdethas Reith Gamraik and, you know, civil rights protest you know these are civil rights movements we've had them on all parts of the empire and to have that from the welsh football association to be perfectly honest i did not expect that did you expect that theo i didn't expect it necessarily uh, although i i think they're obviously as, as a as a for a public affairs point and matt you can speak to this as well they are very very clued up as to what their what audience they what their audience is how they want to appeal to them and I think one of the groups maybe mind you missed off in terms of that video was I think they did play protests against the, the investiture unless I was wrong uh, and I think again that speaks to the in some ways the counter narrative that they are painting to what these other institutions like the royal family represent so it is really interesting and I think you're going to see now of course this battle for identity in some ways I don't want to say it's a battle because you know, there's obviously so much tension uh, involved in that. But I think we will go through again over the next 10, 15 years, if not more rapidly, uh, the change that in Wales in terms of how people think about identity. And, and as successive polls show, I think people are just becoming, to put it bluntly, more Welsh and Welshness is in is surging. It just depends how you can, again, if you're a royal, how do you operate in that particular environment? And it's very, very challenging. You, I, and, I, and I wrote when he was appointed, I, I wrote a couple of pieces you know, for The Spectator. I've written previously for The Times and Anish.com about these things, saying you know, there is, you, could, you could operate if you, 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 put, you lay the groundwork, but now it's just too late in some ways. And I think there has been a few strategic mistakes. I'm not speaking more to Marion's point about Charles's announcement, because I think a lot of people, of course, were upset that William was made Prince of Wales so quickly. But for me, I read into that, and my analysis was that they had no choice because they knew if they wanted to have 
a consultation, which obviously very plucky and very clever uh, Ply Cymru members would have loved because they would have very much dictated that consultation, I think. But they knew they couldn't because then the vacuum would have been created and it would have been easily filled and they again would have been boxed in. But it has led naturally to a chain reaction in terms of after three months or whatever it's been, we're already asking the question is, or at least I am, um, whether William will be the last Prince of Wales. And I think, you know, if you were a betting man, I think it'd be pretty tough odds, actually, which either way it would go. But there are those longer strategic questions that I think Marion alluded to in terms of the time the, the time on Siobhan, where there might have been those missed opportunities. And I do think with the royal family, they will acknowledge that because they are always thinking pragmatically, just like the Welsh Labour Party. They always think pragmatically, how do we survive? I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's a fascinating question, isn't it? And it, it, it sort of boils down to one question of, we know it, to be Welsh, it is more than just which language you speak, mm, which party mm. you vote for, your outlook on life. But there is something very intangibly Welsh about people and about places and about concepts and ideas. But I just want to try and pin you down on a on not a one word. I'm not going to be so cruel, but for both of you, do you think it is too late for William to come across as Welsh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think actually that's the wrong question because he can't ever be Welsh. This is the whole point. Uh, he's not Welsh. Being Prince of Wales over the last few centuries, of course, is is you, you can't really ever be a Welshman. Uh, I think it was Jan Morris had that fantastic extract about the real Prince of the Welsh, and we could we could spend another hour talking about Glyndwr. But for William, he can never appear Welsh, and it's that kind of orchestral symphony that he needs to try and create with the Welsh people. The contract that hasn't been written, and he every prince needs to write it. And, I, and we've reflected a bit about Charles and his time as Prince of Wales. And of course, Marion has that perspective in terms of who might have actually influenced Charles, because the narrative that's been projected more recently over the last few years is that Charles was this camera file. And he, you know, very good on him, actually, I think, meeting with the likes of David Dewan and, 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 and did at least understand the Welsh context. And that would have come from his time and experience during the investiture and afterwards. But for William, I think, the question should be more, Matt, if I can dictate to you once again on the Herai podcast what you should ask, be asking me, is it too late to, to secure the future and the reputation of the Prince of Wales? And I don't think it is, but I, I, I think we are slightly going down an inevitable path now in terms of where this country is going, not to be complacent about things like the Welsh language and its future and that sort of thing, but more with the Prince of Wales. I think the last three months for me are indicative in terms of the mistakes that have been made. And I think there have been strategic mistakes by the palace, but also the way in which Welsh leaders, not the public, but Welsh leaders feel that they can treat and operate with the Prince of Wales, which is unprecedented if you think about it across Britain. I completely agree. The, the reason I said it is too late for him is because, and I think Elizabeth and Charles, they either missed a trick there or they didn't quite care enough. Preparations should have been made much earlier to ease the transition from one Prince of Wales to the other if this ever ever was to be successful in this political uh, and economic climate. Uh, I think William's position is going to be made more difficult by the fact that the whole royal family, they're going to have to look to securing support uh, in England itself 
and uh, and at the you know on the empire stage or the commonwealth of nations uh, and they haven't done very well in that either so in a way on the one hand we do have and i hear what you're saying theo our almost inevitable path to further devolution and independence but on the other hand the royal family has to look to england to their home turf they have to secure their fan base there, if I may speak in football terms. And they also have to look to empire because otherwise they will not survive as a monarchy. Going on to that, we've already got our heir in waiting, haven't we, in, in Prince George. There's no indication that he wouldn't inherit that title for the moment. What kind of steps should the palace be taking in order to make that transition easier? Well, I suggested in some, you know, in some interview that uh, p- perhaps uh, William and Kate m- could kind of give their children a Welsh language education. That would make George very popular in Wales. And it would also, early bilingualism is very, very good for the brain. Uh, it would also enhance his educational success. I agree with that totally. And we've talked a bit about the language and, of course, it's not the only element of identity or so on, but it is so tied with the Welsh national story and and as the FAW again projects, uh, even if you don't speak it, it's a very inclusive community and it's been projected as so in the media and 50 years ago, the likes of that video and Amoahid, even the, the meaning of that song has changed in some ways now, yeah. while the reception has certainly. Uh, and I, I agree with Marion, the Welsh language is that missed opportunity, which I've written about quite a lot. But I do think there are things they can do and they are still trying to work out what he can focus on as Prince of Wales. It's really, really hard because he is very much on the investiture. I feel he's been coming, all the public statements we've had so far, be kind of on the back foot or a, or a kind of negative. We won't do this. We will be respectful. We will. It's been treading on eggshells. He's kind of got a, in a Welsh context, find the sorts of issues he'd like to talk about. Of course, he's, they're very strong advocates for their charities and, and they do do very, very good work with these charities. But those specific Welsh issues that the Prince of Wales can focus on, if they are to secure the future of the title and the the, not just the title, but the relevance and the meaning of monarchy more broadly, I think would be very important. And for me, I kind of look again back to Charles and how the Welsh language and culture and Eisteddfod's, you know, I remember when I was in Llandavri College and Charles would come and visit and he used to enjoy coming to see the Eisteddfod's and it kind of fit in for me into his broader worldview about conservation and that sort of thing. And I think that's why it was quite a neat thing for him that he was comfortable in those surroundings. With William, they're obviously different people. And I think they're going to have to identify those issues very carefully. I think being more more present in Wales, where appropriate and respectful, I think it'll be very important. And again, I think that Elizabethan way of validating devolution to the extent it needs to be will obviously pay a part. But I think that's actually not as important anymore. Um, And you'll see Charles more than William or maybe William on his own uh, at Senate openings and so on. Um, but I, I would take issue with your question, Matt, in terms of whether it's it's so inevitable with George. I don't think it is, actually, because of what we've seen. And that's why I'm asking the question. And if you are a monarchist and you are the royal family, I think you are obviously always looking pragmatically and you're looking for survival. And I've spoken to a lot of people in London and, and in other contexts who kind of just shrug and just think, why, didn't you, why, why wouldn't they just discontinue it? 
next time. And I don't think it was viable probably in this context over the, if you're a royalist uh, over the last few months. But I think next time there will be more of an emphasis on that. And I think that's that's where we're heading. Yeah, that's just the just the you know consequence of my pessimistic republicanism there, <laughs> Theo. It's all right. Uh, it's all right. <laughs> You know, it's 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 quite clear that although he's you know done all the right moves so far, that the king is probably not as well admired as his mother, and there's a good chance I think that the public perception, whether that be in the UK or Wales more specifically, of the royal family will diminish over the next few years. And I'm just interested to see what your overall thoughts are on the royal family in general and about their chances of survival, whether that be. The role of the Prince of Wales or not, just how you think the public attitudes towards them is developing. It's interesting, Matt, that you you keep mentioning the word survival. And for me, it's it's rather historically unfortunate that Charles should be Charles the Third. That was a complete the, accident. I apologize profusely. I see where I was Charles going. Charles the First and Charles the Second, you know, not not so lucky uh, survival uh, wise. So that's, and you know what, that's the first thing that came to my mind when I heard Charles III as a historian, you reach back and you go, ooh, maybe Elizabeth sort of thought about that a little bit more carefully. Uh, you know, they, they, George much better. You know, we have the, the Georgians reigned for 130 years. So survival of the royal family, I, I think as an institution, uh, as a constitutional monarchy, they, they will survive. But they have gone with the time since the Second World War. For instance, I mean, they've cut down on expenditure. The later jubilees after 2000 were paid for, you know, by themselves, not with our taxpayers' money, uh, I believe. And as you say, um, Elizabeth has kind of, in a way, for Wales, uh, and maybe that's been more important for Wales than for Scotland, found a role uh, in devolution, a kind of uh, super, super political role, you know, above all political parties. And that has been important for Wales. But as Theo says, that importance is waning because other institutions have taken over. Devolution is established. So um, as, as Theo has said so many times, William has to find a different role. and. We've talked about Charles and, you know, you, you said that in, in Llandovery, he feels at home there and, you know, he visits the Royal Welsh every now and then. That is because Charles, deep down, he's a country gentleman, isn't he, who likes his gardening and his eco, you know, things and his estates. Uh, William, is he a young professional? Is he a businessman? What is William? So William can't slot into uh, the Royal Welsh and into that. William has to find different tasks uh, and he has to connect. And maybe that's what they talked about behind closed doors in the Senate, um, how he can work on behalf of Wales as a, as a modern prince, a modern you know monarch in waiting. The other thing we need to remember is that, of course, Charles is also much older than his mother coming to the throne. So his reign will definitely not be as long as her reign. And William may be in a situation where he has to kind of hand over to George as Prince of Wales, if that uh, happens, you know, uh, quite soon. So William better go to it to find his role and to prepare George for his role. And that would include, you know, 
teaching George Welsh, connecting George in some way with Wales. Otherwise, uh, it's not going to happen, is it? Well, there are obviously challenges which we're all aware of with, with the royal family more broadly, but I do think constitutional monarchy is quite entrenched uh, in terms of in terms of this country now. And again, to go back to the significance of politicians in this, because this discourse we've we've had over the last few months by people uh, like me, but also um, uh, you know more substantial figures like Michael Sheen. They've been lead, they, there are there are leaders and societies that are leading these discussions, not the Welsh public. And I think there are there isn't a, such an established Republican movement. I don't think, particularly not in Wales. And I sort of challenge made this challenge, and I, and, I, and I say it often when I have this discussion because there are some people who obviously don't want to have this discussion. And, and I go back to that point: the polarization. They just want to say he's not Welsh. It's awful. And for me, that's just not the way. Obviously, it's not real politique. And it's not the way things work. And I think the royals will be here to stay, but the way that they do stay is up for debate. And the slim down monarchy that Charles has tried to create and always talked about, now that needs to come into fruition. The damage that the Duke of Sussex is, is having reputationally on, on the royal family, not just in the UK, by the way, but in the US, the other key exporter of the monarchy, I think is still, we haven't really read the barometers of that properly. So I think it, it is, it, they're quite secure, but they're never quite secure. They've always got to you know, rewrite that contract. Uh, and there are, there have been in recent times, which we've reflected upon those scandals and they've got so many different audiences to appeal to. And the Welsh are very much a minor audience in that, in terms of our size, uh, but, of our, but in terms of our importance, actually, I argue it's quite a big one because the Prince of Wales, though not having any constitutional or legal basis, is quite a symbolic role. And the discourse has elevated its how people think about Wales. And, and people do, I think, associate the Prince of Wales with the country. So if you have ructions in Wales in a Welsh context, I think that does damage uh, the royal family. And if you do, looking into our crystal ball, that discontinue a title, people might say, oh, it's, it's a pragmatic way of carrying on. It is. But I do think it'll reputationally harm them. And it's, again, a concession. Like, I think the investiture decision wasn't a concession, an acknowledgement of how things can't be the same that they have been over the last five decades. Um, so I just thank you very much for your time. I just want to finish on a bit of a thought experiment, if, you, uh, if you'll, you know, entertain me for a moment. If, if the role of Prince of Wales was, be, was to be established, established, what, if anything do you think would replace it, linking Wales to the British state? I don't think anything would, would replace it. I don't think anything would need to, because we are very much firm part of the, the British state, whether we like it or not. We've got two governments in Wales. To the, I mean, to the question, I think the fact that we're asking it is quite emblematic, really, of, of where we are as a society. It's very healthy to ask that question. I know that, like I heard internationally, not everyone wants to ask the question because of the ties, I still think, to the late Queen, People do feel it as they people take it quite personally, uh, and they see the royal family kind of as part of an extension of their own. Uh, but I don't think there would be a replacement of it. But for me, I think I'm looking at this now from a political lens, as you would, Matt, over the last few months, and I think it's so fascinating to explore the fact that the space in which the Prince of Wales and the significance of the role, and it was visible and significant, I think, for for quite a while has has diminished and i think in that sense after if it is discontinued once again 
the monarchy will have to rewrite and reinvent its role with Wales and the Welsh people. And as the last three months tell us, it's not very easy. Well, Matt, I think it is likely that the 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 the, the devolutionary path Scotland and Wales have taken it's it's quite likely that it will lead to what we may call home rule or what a hundred years ago would have been called home rule. And in that case, I think what might happen, and I think the, the royal family would do well to maybe remember that, is that um, Scotland and Wales uh, uh, would still be members of that family of nations of the Commonwealth. And Charles, uh, you know, Charles was confirmed as uh, new head of the Commonwealth, you know, three years before Elizabeth II died, and he is acting head of uh, the Commonwealth of Nations. So they could stay in that wider community of nations, which now includes countries that were never, uh, you know, that were never colonized, that were never colonies of the empire. And there are uh, of course, advantages, trade advantages, and so on in that. And uh, the king or queen of uh, the, the, the kingdom of Great Britain are the heads of that Commonwealth of Nations. So they there would be a, a connecting link there. One would not need another figure uh, to link Wales to England. And to be perfectly honest, uh, we're all living on a couple of islands offshore Europe together. And whether in the end we'll have uh, three or four independent states, uh, whether they are in the Commonwealth or nation, of Nations or not, we're going to have to work closely with each other, aren't we? Thank you so much to both of you for your time with us this evening. If people want to hear more from you, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, Marion? Oh, I'm Lufflerem, L-O-E-F-F-L-E-R-M. I don't tweet a lot. You, you just Google me. And also, I may leave Twitter very soon. If if Elon Musk is kind of twitching once more, then I'm out of there, you know. We're, we're going to have to work on this outro, basically. Because yeah. uh, it's going to be a very interesting couple of weeks. A lot of our episodes are going to be very out of date very soon. Uh, Theo, where can well, people find you for the moment on Twitter? Well, uh, T. Davis Lewis. But I was just going to say, Marin's just taken two of my lines there. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I won't say just Google me, because you might find it. I don't know what will come up. Yeah. <laughs> Coming, coming to coming to a lecture hall near you, maybe if you want to hear about the Prince of Wales. I don't just do Tlenethi, so I'm sure this discussion will will go on. And thanks for having us. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, please don't forget to find us on Twitter and Facebook at Pod or on our website www.walespolitics.com. And thank you so much for supporting us with your ears. But if you would like to do so with your wallets too, please don't forget to find us at www.patreon.com forward slash Hereith Pod. Thank you for listening to Hereith. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review.